Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. However, wherever, whenever you're listening, this is the Root for Wisconsin show. Episode 58. Season 2, episode 6, coming at you from the Media True Value and Riverwood Gallery Studio in De Pere, Wisconsin. I'm the host and producer, Eric the Biggie Fisher. Sitting beside me in the studio here is Ramsey Thompson. Ramsey, how are you doing, buddy? Awesome. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic. Welcome back, by the way. Glad you're feeling better. Yeah, I had a little bit of the COVID, the, the cronies. So you have you have clear protocol. We're cleared, ready to go, fired up. A little well, upset we missed some uh, conversations last week on how good the SEC looked and how... Uh... <laughs> I'm sure for our listeners' sake, it probably was better that we had a peaceful discussion yeah, there's no peaceful when uh, Ramsey's right all the time. <laughs> then uh, with that, Justin, unfortunately, not able to make it tonight. He has a coaching obligation. So it'll be Eric and Ramsey hanging out with you for the next hour, two hours. Hour three, half, hopefully three, not. Four, three, four, five, six, whatever. If you probably those are six hours, you are a special person. I don't know if we could talk for six hours. Well, I'm sure we could. We, we could definitely before. talk for six hours. I'd have to put pause on this and go grab a beer or something like that. Right. I'm sure yeah, we could do it. Yeah. Anyway. So with that, a couple housekeeping notes here. Uh, we took a week off from Monkey Knife Fight on the Facebook page. Packers bye week, our bye week. Figured why not? Be back in full force this weekend. You stay tuned to that. We'll put money in your pockets. Probably. Can't say that we will for sure because that's the nature of the games. We, we for sure will. We can't say that, Ramsey, but... We for sure will. I, I have a pretty good feeling. If you just pay attention. Yeah, if you pay attention, if you know if you know football, either exclusively listen to us or exclusively, or exclusively don't go against everything. Yeah, we do. and you'll you'll make money at some point. So that's our friends, Monkey Knife Fight. Also, our friends at Raise Energy, Raise RepSports.com, and Ramsey. I am going to get my Blue Shock flavor in later this week. The new limited edition flavor that lasted for about seven hours. I'm surprised it lasted that long, honestly. I, I am too. I'm glad I was able to break through and get some. I know that it had gone viral on TikTok and Instagram. So if you missed out, you know, they, they're pretty good about bringing flavors back every once in a while. Got to pay attention. RepSports.com, code ROOT4, 15% off any order. It's code R-O-O-T, number four. And we forgot this announcement last week. Got to give a shout out. To our two finalists, Tyson and Shauna in the Root for Wisconsin Fantasy Football League. Tyson taking down the U Halahala, taking down Team Hallbach, winning that championship. So congrats to Tyson, congrats to Shauna and everyone who played along with us. Um, except Ramsey and Justin, who were not in the playoffs. I was. I mean, I ended up with a third place finish. That's a podium for yours truly on the show. You're lucky that I didn't make the playoffs or won the whole thing. Well, you didn't. You're, I'm just saying you're lucky. So, with that, I guess we can talk about some some sports stuff here. Uh, Tyson will be in touch with you in the upcoming weeks here for your prize, which, truthfully, we still kind of got to figure out. But we we'll, should we should build a beer can trophy. We really should. We'll we'll get you something really nice. We'll hook you up. Uh, we'll have our people talk to your people. So, with that, I, I, I'm people. Uh, that's me. That's gonna be my job. Eric's people. And that's... <laughs> um, we start off with the positives of what we had rooted for over the last week. That is sponsored by Fanatics. Whether your team's on top of the world, say maybe you're the reigning college football champion, Georgia Bulldogs, or maybe you're a Green Bay Packers fan. Same logo, by the way, just different colors. And you want to show off your love for your team, or maybe 
The Bucks are still doing pretty good. The Badgers are doing pretty good. Show your love for those teams too. Or maybe you're unfortunate and had to watch. Maybe you're you're a Patriots fan or a Raiders fan or Cardinals fan or any of the like. Um, still show your love for your team. That's code root for, or excuse me, that's fanatics. Hashtag love on. I almost get my, my promo codes mixed up here. Hashtag love on. Show your love for your team. Ramsey, you haven't been on in two weeks. I'll let you start the segment. What have you rooted for over the last two weeks? Wow, that's a loaded question, isn't it? Sure. I rooted for the Cowboys to lose. That makes me happy whenever they do. I was a big fan of watching that game. I know you're going to dunk on me, and I'm glad Justin's not here. Nickelodeon broadcast, once again, two for two, guys. They had the slime cannons going. Dak Prescott had to get slimed and was the MVP of the game after. I don't, if I would have lost the way Dak Prescott lost that game, there is not a chance you are sliming me. I would fight (laughs) every single nitpick, every single one of them. (laughs) This year, instead of just SpongeBob in the uprights, they had SpongeBob and Patrick, depending on which team was kicking, which end zone they were in. So SpongeBob and Patrick in the the end zone. Eric, after losing a playoff game and someone said, hey, I'm going to slime you. What's the response? Twenty dollars, twenty dollars. I'm kidding. I'm, I... <laughs> <laughs> the response is absolutely not. Get the bleep away from me. Oh man, I in the way that they lost, like, just poetry. It just makes me so happy when the Cowboys lose. But anyway, anything else you had rooted for that we had missed out since we talked to you last? Uh, Chili Bowl Nationals is going on right now. The midget racing out there in Oklahoma. It's kind of the big. Dirt national event. Um, big name. All the big names are out there right now. Chase Elliott, William Byron. No, not William Byron. Uh, Alex Bowman, Kyle Larson. So, a little shout out to some local short tractor racing. All right. Sounds good. Uh, I'm going to go with, I guess, just good football. I know, Ramsey, we haven't talked a whole, or we haven't talked on this these airwaves since uh, you had last been on. But since then, we've had a national championship game and Super Wildcard Weekend. Uh, let me hit the national championship game real quick. Do you guys finally see what the difference between Cincinnati and the SEC teams are? I wasn't here last week. I, I know it was is eating at me because I want to talk about this. <laughs> Everyone's telling me how good Cincinnati is or how good Michigan is. or, But then you watch the two SEC teams and you're like, that doesn't really look like college football. That looks like... NFL level defensive schemes and NFL level offensive schemes. And we wonder why, you know, between the over the last four years, Georgia and Alabama are number one and number two in recruiting classes. So it, it just is bizarre that the number one, number two recruiting classes were playing for a national title. Just just insane. I just can't I can't fathom that. <laughs> It's I'm, crazy that the team with the better recruiting classes over the last four years won the national title. That's just baffling to me. It's bizarre. I, I'm not going to open that can of worms. It's just bizarre. That's all I'm, I'm saying. I'm, it is it's bizarre. crazy. It's bizarre, Ramsey. It's just insane that Ramsey was right again. <laughs> so we've had some some really good football lately. We've had some pretty good college basketball as of late, especially with the Wisconsin Badgers. Um also, just kind of the Big Ten as a whole has been one of the better conferences in basketball this year as a whole, too. So lots of good stuff going on around the state of Wisconsin. Uh, obviously, we'll talk more Packers in the later parts of the episode. But with the positives also must come the negatives, that being our Tyler Hero Nuggies of the Week. And 
Rams, I know you're really fired up on this one. I'm so, going to let you take this one first because technically I have two, th- three. I could probably fit a fourth one in there. I have a few as well. So I'm going to let you take it, and then I will play off that because I'm sure we have similar ones. I- I'm sure we probably do too. So the first one, the Texans again. You know, <sighs> we we talked about how just much of a, a dumpster fire that organization has been. They were up in the conversation for dumpster fire of the year. You have a quarterback who has some off-field allegations that we're not going to touch with the 10-foot pole. We have... You have hiring a head coach that no one's heard of as a coordinator. You have just a number of different things. You have a a team or GM slash head coach who set this team back probably about a good 10 years with the way that they handled personnel and players and and the roster as a whole, no draft picks. And then you go and hire this, this basically stopgap coach and, and the optics of it, you know, it was, you know, you fire, and then you go and fire him after one year being four and 13, right? You fire one of the few uh, African-American coaches in the NFL that you probably shouldn't have hired in the first place. If that's what you were going to treat this guy as, you really kind of over exceed what you were expected to do as a team. You had your guys playing hard for you. Mm-hmm. You had Tyrod Taylor, who just, I'm not convinced he'll ever play a full season of football. It's, just, it's nothing but bad luck for him. You had what, Davis Mills? I'm not even sure that's his name. Davis, Davis Mills. Mills was the quarterback. Played well. Played well, played above expectations. The whole team did. That's didn't, what, didn't finish last in your division again. That's what doesn't make sense is that the whole team played. Above expectation, but you still fire a head coach because you panicked and hired a guy. Yeah. I, and David Cloy, for what it's worth, I have never heard anyone say a bad word about him. I mean, we probably can all agree when we first heard it, we're like, who we is that? We had a lot of laughs about that. On we had show. to look it up to see who that was. Right. And for what it's worth, he's a highly respected coordinator that's been in the league forever. And you fire him for who are you going to replace him with? That's what I like. I, who wants that job? You had a guy that was fortunate enough to take it for you. You should at least give him another year. I mean, you know, and, and Justin and I talked about this quite at long length last week. And that's got to be one of the bottom jobs out there. I really can't think of that many high, you know, there's, there's a lot higher jobs, obviously. Feel how you do about Chicago, Minnesota, the Dolphins kind of knocking on the door of a playoff mm-hmm. spot, firing their head coach. We talked about that last week, and I know you were fired up about that this week here too. So I'll let you go on that. I know you want to talk about that. Do you want me to talk about right now? Or... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Miami, what are you doing firing Brian Flores? Are you shitting me? Like, that was the – I saw that. I'm like – in my opinion, Brian Flores probably did one of the best coaching jobs over the last few years. And he's winning with Kirk Cousins light. Like, Tua Tungavailoa is not a top 15 quarterback. And this team is a virtual playoff team this year and last year. Like, they are... I could probably make the argument they would have put up a better fight than, I mean, Philadelphia... They probably would have put up a better fight than Pittsburgh. So the fact that we're now firing a coach who did not 
have the quarterback that even he wanted. He wanted um He wanted Herbert. He wanted Herbert. And they drafted Tua over Herbert. And can you imagine watching that and being like I could have had Justin Herbert, who is one of the top probably eight quarterbacks in the league right Who's now. Who's probably miscoached right now. Right. Yeah. So and the thing you the thing about the NFL is if you don't have the quarterback right, you're not gonna be over successful. I mean, we've already seen it in the playoffs, especially, right? We talked I mean, we haven't got here yet, but we'll get there eventually today. About Philadelphia. They, they don't have the right quarterback. Jalen Hurts is a good quarterback. He's not I th- great. I think he's the best backup in the league probably right now. Right? I mean, that's just what he is. It's called spade a spade. Jalen Hurts is okay. I think there's room to grow, but I, I don't really think you're going to get much more of that. Obviously, Ben Roethlisberger up there in Pittsburgh got demolished by Kansas City. And we even look at the quarterback difference between a veteran and Josh Allen at this point and Mac Jones, right? Mm-hmm. I could probably make an argument that outside of a few skill positions that New England has a better overall roster. I think New England's defense is as good, if not better, at in spots. I mean, the offensive line of New England is better. And Mac Jones didn't play bad, but that shows you what happens when you play okay. When you have an okay, talented quarterback with a limited ceiling versus, in my opinion, probably the most talented quarterback in the league, Josh Allen, Josh Allen does stuff that no other quarterback in the league can do. Like, say what you will about Aaron Rodgers, and that's probably... I'll, I'll, let me, I will say Josh Allen probably the most athletic quarterback, or one of the most athletic. See, I think he has good of an arm as Patrick Mahomes. I think that... He's has the size of Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, size, arm talent, he's as good as anyone in the league, if not better. I think that I could probably make an argument he's better in every single category. Outside of pre-snap, and he does get a little streaky at times, which is okay. He's a young quarterback. Those guys, too, tend to streak a little bit here and there. But, I mean, you have... that. That's the difference. And that's why I've kind of been on this for a little while now of... You need to get the quarterback right. That was my entire conversation about Baker. We saw it with Dak. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a better quarterback than Dak Prescott is. And I can say that fairly confidently. I, I think that Dak Prescott, there is times where he makes it look really hard. And he shouldn't because he has probably the best weapons in the league. One to five deep. You're talking... And he just makes it look difficult. So when you overpay a quarterback and you are a B plus, you are a first round exit. Yeah, definitely. So another nugget for me uh, this week is bad football fans. And I'm going to, if I, if I may elaborate on this just a touch. So first of all, we did see some non-competitive games this weekend. That was pretty much going to happen with how top-heavy the league is. This isn't a knock-on having too many playoff teams. If anything, I actually really enjoy having that extra game in each conference each week of the opening weekend. Big fan of that. Um, I would have loved to see what Indianapolis could have done against Kansas City. 
we never will because they decided that they were going to lose the closest thing to a sure thing against Jacksonville where they were the fans were literally dressing up as clowns going into that game. But that's why you play the game. Um, all that in mind, Steelers and getting there and getting boat raced, and we saw really only one competitive, two competitive games this weekend, being the Bengals Raiders and then uh, Cowboys 49ers. But I'm okay with that. I'm very much okay with that as a whole. Um, just it was a good weekend to sit and watch football when you don't really have much on the line. But so fans, first of all, kind of dumping on on the playoff setup. And then of all the teams that lost this weekend, it is just hysterical, all the teams that lost. And I don't want to put some bad juju out there, but you look at the fan bases between Dallas, who melted down in front of your eyes and, and were pretenders all year. You look at the Cardinals, who I don't want to say they're pretenders, but they're just not there yet. They're a good team. That's the, probably the third best team in that division. But they're just not there yet. And they fall apart down the stretch, going from 7-0 to squeaking into the playoffs and, and being the top wildcard team, getting handled on Monday Night Football to the Rams. You look at the Eagles fans, who just are notorious for being awful fans and how funny it was that they just got boat raced in in Tampa Bay Steelers fans not much better either so really of all and then Patriots fans I mean I I love Bill Belichick I loved Tom Brady when he was in New England but it's kind of nice to see that turn around a little bit for a couple years at least anyway to to kind of neutralize the last 20 years so watching some some very uh sensitive fan bases lose in the fashions that they did was was very heartwarming to me, but also got to give them a little bit of a noogie while they're down, you know, kick them while they're down. See, I'm going to take the other angle on that. We don't need any more playoff games. And honestly, Philadelphia wasn't a playoff team and Pittsburgh was not a playoff team. So the fact that we stretched this thing out and the T I believe since the seven seed has been added, they are Oh, for four. They're on four, but that's not saying a whole lot yet either. Right, but so I don't understand why we are putting teams that are barely above 500 into a playoff situation just for the fact that the NFL wants to line their money or make more money on these specific games. I would much rather have a healthier Tampa Bay playing the Rams this week and a much healthier Kansas City team playing the bills like we we've it's the same thing that i've talked about the college football playoff is that in the nfl every single year there's about six contenders six total right so three on each side are actual contenders to win a super bowl every once in a while you get those giant years where they sneak through and you have a, a surprise team here and there but for the most part it's six teams that are playing for a super bowl so why are we having a 14-team playoff? Like, that just makes absolutely no sense to me. It just wastes everyone's time, and it's not... I just don't think that I needed to see Philadelphia, Tampa Bay, or Pittsburgh, Kansas City, for that matter. I could live without those games, and I, I just don't necessarily like the fact that we're just more of a, 
It's just lining the NFL's pockets with money for the sole fact of putting on garbage football. See, I think this year and last year, as we get, as these first two years kind of work out some of the bugs with it, I think we're going to see some rough games. But I think down the road, especially with how much of a setback that the salary cap was after last season, I think in two, three years, because, you know, you talk about where the cap's going to progress into next year and teams that are going to have to make some difficult decisions and might bring some more parity to the league where, you know, we look, Ramsey, we look at maybe three, four weeks ago, even as early or as late as three or four weeks ago, we really didn't have a true clear cut number one team in the NFC. And really we only had one, maybe two clear cut teams in the NFC. But those are the teams that are still there. That's what I'm saying. Kansas city, Buffalo as of three or four weeks ago. And then you would look and say green Bay, Tampa Bay, and that's who's there right now. I mean, so we're just, it's one of those things that adding, there's no such thing as parity in professional sports. And at this point, there's no such thing as parity in college football. And it's just a misconception of how, at the end of the day, you need to have an A-plus coach and A-plus quarterback, and everything else can be average, Right. Like, I think there's things that Kansas City's got away with for the last few years because they have an A-plus coach and an A-plus quarterback that their team can lack in other areas, right? The issue is, is that there's only, what, probably six to eight A-plus quarterbacks in the league, and there's about that of coaches. So we look at it and you go, well, if you don't have an A-plus coach and an A-plus quarterback, and you have a B-plus coach and a B-plus quarterback, you're the Dallas Cowboys. And they get beat by San Francisco, who was the better team. So we're talking about all the, especially the Cowboy fans, having this absolute meltdown. You really thought that the Cowboys were the better team at any point in that game? You're delusional. Like, there was, Dak Prescott gets the ball back. I'm like, there's no way that he actually comes away with a game-winning drive here. He's not... I, I'm sure we'll get into this later in the episode too, but you watch Dak Prescott and you go, he just makes it look hard. Like he has really good weapons, makes it look hard. And then at some points on the field, he just doesn't throw a very pretty ball. And you can watch it. His release isn't great. The ball comes out funny sometimes. And it's just because he's... Well, I'm going to say both quarterbacks in that game, the amount of balls that got batted at the line just hung in the air. The fact that there was only, I think, only one interception is insane. It's baffling. Yeah. And that game as a whole, I mean, you got to give a noogie to Mike McCarthy, right? And the coaching staff of the Cowboys. Oh, of course. I mean, and and we, I'm spoiler alert, we have Mason Sprangers on later in the episode. You'll see that if you click on the episode. So I guess I'm not really giving too much away. We talk with him in in length of how the play calling and, and the coaching side of it. And he makes some good points of, of the, the strategy of it. So I'm gonna, I don't want to take too much of his thunder away here. But you don't have the... There's some... Something got dropped along the way. And whether that be Dak running too long before sliding, not giving the ball to the official. Um, you can blame the official for not being in position, although that's his job is to be the back judge. He's behind the play. You can use any number of arguments. I had no issue with the referee's position. He has no. to do that. That's what you yeah. have to do. You can't just spot the ball yourself. 
You have to wait for the ref. You have to, to wait for the ref ball. to spot the ball. You have to do something to either get to the sideline. And, and truthfully, I'm going to be honest with you, and I know, I you know when Mason when he'll talk about that a little bit later in the episode. He makes some good points that actually kind of made swaying like, oh yeah, maybe they did do the right thing, you know, in some capacity they didn't execute it properly. At the same time, though, you're down. You need a touchdown and an extra point to win or to right. tie, right? Yep. You need that to tie. You have 14 seconds left. Maybe do a quick out because they're playing off you anyway and get maybe from the 40 to the 30. But why would you not take two shots at the end zone instead of gambling and not getting one? You want me to tell you why? Why is that? Dak Prescott's his limited quarterback. And I, I know this is either beating a dead horse or it's going to make some people upset. And either way, it needs to be said still is the Cowboys this year, you can look up the stats, their plays over 20 yards, they were bottom 15 in the league. So Dak Prescott doesn't throw the ball downfield, which is okay, and you don't have to do that. And, I, and I've said this before, too. You don't have to be Aaron Rodgers to be a Super Bowl contending team, right? I think we can all agree that you don't have to be Aaron Rodgers. You don't have to be Peyton Manning. You don't have to be Tom Brady. You don't have to be these cerebral quarterbacks that can put the ball on a dime from any point in the field. However, you have to be good enough. And good enough is probably considered like an A, right? So a top eight quarterback in the league, top 10 quarterback in the league. I go back to it. Dak Prescott's on the backside of eight. You know, he's somewhere between eight to 14, probably, depending on the day. Mm -hmm. And when you have a quarterback that's limited and you're paying him $40 million a year, he has to make big plays. And if you watch that entire game, Dak Prescott did not make big plays. He was given some free yards at the end, so everyone that watches the box score and just goes, oh, well, he had 253 yards. Yeah, he also had 43 attempts. Like, we're not talking about someone that's been – we're not talking about Matt Stafford on Monday who had 13 attempts and 200 yards. We're talking about 43 attempts. So – when you are in a position of taking, like Eric said, in my opinion, I'd take the two shots from the 40. But when you have a limited quarterback, those the percentage needs to be higher, right? So you need to get that extra little bit of yards. And that's what leads to the absolute meltdown of everyone in Dallas right now of, well, what happened? Well, it's pretty obvious you have a less than mediocre head coach and you have an extremely mediocre quarterback. And that's okay if you want to be first on exit. Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess, or did you have any other nuggets you wanted to touch on? I guess we hit on the Dolphins. We hit on Brian Flores. Uh, hit on the NFL's playoff. No, I think I'm good for right now. Um, I guess those are the things that annoyed me from the past week, I guess. Yeah, fantastic. So with that... We can kind of talk some some actual parts of the episode here. And I guess I'll do Justin's badge report. A couple things just to look at in the last really couple hours here. Uh, the Badgers football team getting two transfers from UCLA. Uh, Keontes Lewis will get their fourth edition or makes the Badgers fourth edition uh, to the from the transfer portal. And then 
Cornerback Jay Shaw also committing from UCLA to the Badgers. Had tw- uh, in 2021, he had t- played 12 games, five starts, three interceptions. Nice. At cornerback. So big sign on, uh, there for the Badgers. I'm sure Justin had more of a breakdown ready for that, but pretty good uh, gets from the Badgers today from uh, Chip Kelly's UCLA Bruins. And UCLA, they're the Bruins, right? Yeah. Had to double check on that for just a second. Um, you know, if you told me that for if you were just talking like fo- the UCL Bruins basketball, right? Like, yeah, if it's football, I forgot they kind of had a football team, right? Uh, speaking of the Badgers basketball, another big win last week. I believe we were just wrapping up, or maybe it was the day after we recorded. Uh, Badgers take down Ohio State, avenge their lone conference loss uh, to the Buckeyes last week, and they moved up from. 13th in the AP rankings, up to number eight. They will be in action here as we record a little bit later down the road uh, as they host Northwest, or they travel to Evansville to play Northwestern. Badgers a two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road to an unranked Northwestern team. Um, just kind of shows how good Northwestern actually is with that and how deep of a team they are. But we'll have that game as we kind of go along here as we record. So that's, I guess, our badge report. As for the Bucks. Stumbling out of the gate on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, fall to the Hawks after leading pretty big in that game. Uh, last big Bucks win was last Thursday. I know we talked about it in the episode. Uh, was the win over the Warriors? Bucks came out swinging. Everyone was healthy. Big win for the Bucks. Triple double from Giannis over the Warriors on national TV in Milwaukee. Uh, lost two straight here again. Raptors lose to the Raptors Saturday. Lose to the Hawks last night, and we'll be back in action tomorrow night, release day, as they play host to the 31 and 15 Grizzlies. Isn't that insane on how good John Morant's been? Yeah, it is insane. And I, I believe we've talked about that too, where the whole talk about Zion or Ja, and I watched um, John Morant at uh, Murray State, right? Murray State Racers. At the racers, and I watched them in the NCAA March Madness. I want to say bracket, but it's late in the day. Brain stops working <laughs> a little bit. But watching uh, John Morant play in March Madness, I'm like, that's an NBA guy, right? And he's just so hyper athletic too. If you guys haven't watched any Grizzlies tape this year, put on John Morant. He's uh... well. I'll tell you what. What might even even uh... If you don't want to watch the tape, as we record this episode, tickets as low as ten dollars for the five star forum. So head on down. Go watch to Milwaukee if you got nothing going on Wednesday night the nineteenth. Head on down. So really, I mean that's all the Bucks report that I got as as per usual. Just kind of hard to get there for this uh, this regular season push here. Before now, yesterday Martin Luther King Jr. Day, uh, obviously a big important you know. Dave, to why we celebrate and we live the words of Martin Luther King Jr. as we, in our everyday lives, as we look for the betterment of society. A lot of good basketball yesterday, too. We're a sports show. We're going to talk about sports. Um, I believe every team in the NBA played yesterday. I think that's kind of the tradition. Every team mm-hmm. plays on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. For me, that's kind of, I mean, you have Christmas Day games, but that's kind of the start of the regular season. So I would expect some some better Bucks reports going forward. Um but as we kind of still have college basketball heating up here, kind of takes a back burner until as until it gets tighter. But that's where we're at right now with that. And with that, Ramsey, we have some gambling to talk. 
Let's go. And Ramsey, you weren't here last week, so your standing stayed in place. You against the spread. So we're, you know, that's how we do these. We do these against the spread. Um, you were three, one, and one your first week doing this. Uh, going into last week, Justin and I were both three and two. Obviously, we had picks last week. You didn't. So to update the standings uh, with wins, I'm now in the lead at seven and four. Rams, you're still three and one and one. Justin took a Justin had a rough week. He's four and seven. Justin has a lot of tough weeks. Just terrible takes all over the place. So rough week for Justin on the against the spread picks. And with that, why don't we take a look at the NFL slate for this weekend? And see if we can make some picks along the way here. And maybe I'll throw in a game or two along the way uh, for another sport or two. But we'll look at the divisional round for playoffs first. Uh, Saturday gets us started. Bengals going to the to Tennessee and Nashville. Uh, Titans are opening up as a three and a half point favorite over the uh, over the Bengals. I'm going to take the Cincinnati Bengals. Wow. Why are you taking the Bengals? I think they are as good a coach, and I think Joe Burrow is considerably better than Ryan Tannehill. All right, all right. I, I'll respect that. I'm going to disagree with you, though. I don't I don't blame you because Derrick Henry is going to be playing, and I think that's going to be – I don't know if Cincinnati's going to have an answer for that. However, like I said, I, I basically comes down – I think the rosters are very similar. I like Joe Burrow better than Ryan Tannehill. So here's here's some of my logic here. So obviously Derrick Henry playing, but also just looking at the injury report for the Bengals. Here's their injury report, Ramsey. Are you ready? Mike Daniels, defensive tackle, questionable. Larry Uganjabi, defensive tackle, injured reserve. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that name. Josh Tupo, I think, defensive tackle, questionable. Trey Hendrickson, defensive end, questionable. And I know that questionable doesn't necessarily mean what it used to, since they got rid of the probable tag on the injury report. But what I see is a lot of banged up guys up front and not a whole lot of weaponry there to stop one Derrick Henry. I I totally agree. Like I if I was gambling this weekend on all these games, I think that would be the game I would pick. If we're betting against the spread that I make real money, the Cincinnati I would say has the best chance. So I'm going to skip the Packers game because we'll talk about that towards the end of the episode. A big Packer breakdown here with Mason Springer is coming up in just a few moments. Before that, we look at Sunday ahead of the sl- as we go to the Sunday slate. First game of the day, 2 o'clock. Rams traveling down to Tampa Bay. The Championeers. Bucks open up as a three-point favor. Who you got that one? I talked about this today. I'm also going to take the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm gonna go. I, I'm going Tampa Bay as well for what it's worth. And my logic behind it is, again, just like we talked about with Cincinnati and Tennessee. Really, if you look at the rosters up and down, I think Tampa Bay and LA are fairly close. Like I think Tampa Bay's offense is a tad better, and I think the Rams' defense is a tad better. In spots, again, there's like if you want to go overall, I mean. They're pretty similar, right? Mm-hmm. So I like Tom Brady better than Matt Stafford. That's where I'm going to go on that game, too. I, I really have nothing else to add there. 
So I'll take Tampa Bay with a three. Win outright. It's going to be a big win for Tampa Bay. Then the Sunday night game, 5.30 p.m., CBS Sports. Bills travels to the Chiefs. In all three of these games, I mean, really a lot of good games this weekend. That's what you hope for this time of year. There should be. But really, this might be the best final eight in some time, in my opinion. It's who should be there. I, I agree. But usually, you know, every every year up to this point, there's always been kind of one pretender that sneaks in. And one team that maybe doesn't have, you know, kind of like you look at the Saints last year. The Saints were playing on Division Weekend last year. And just it wasn't the same as any of these yeah. games are. Yeah. And I think all of these games are legit teams. So the Chiefs opened that up as a two-point favorite at home against the Bills. How do you feel about that one, Ramsey? I'm going to take Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Well, I guess you're, we're not going to gain up a whole lot of ground here because that's also where I'm leaning. Uh, the Buffalo Bills are plus 115 on the money line, which is not a whole lot. I mean, right. you're basically looking at a coin flip game here. Uh, Kansas City has a two and a half, two point, depending on where you're looking. Advantage over under 55 on that game. Over. Hesitantly over, I would say. Like that's uh I'm glad we're not picking that. I'm just trying to paint the picture for our for our listeners. I would stay away from that if I was throwing cash on this game. But I, I'm gonna go. I think I'm going to go Bills as well. So just to kind of sum up of the three main ones before we kind of get in the Packers talk, and we'll do our Packers picks at the end. Well, for, for our secretary keeping purpose, I'll, I'll put it all together here now. We look at, just again, sum up what we have. Ramsey, you're taking the Titans, or you're taking the Bengals. Right. I'm taking the Titans. Right. We both have the Bucks, and we both have the Bills. Correct. So we look at Saturday night's game. Packers are minus six as the home favorites against San Francisco 49ers. Quick pick, and then we'll talk about it. We'll talk with Mason here just to kind of break down the Packers, but quick pick, Ramsey. San Francisco to cover. I'm going to go Packers outright. On It's at by six, covering. right? It's at six. It was at five and a half earlier today. Correct. So it's moved up to six according to Caesar Sportsbook. I, I'm still I'm still going Green Bay. I think the Packers win. I will say that. I think the Packers win. I think it's closer than we would like it to be. That's fair. So with that, before we kind of, I mean, we're going to break down this game from basically every angle we can. You know, it's really hard to bet the spread on a Tuesday. Yeah. Because how many of those San Francisco guys are actually going to be playing, just like even Tampa Bay too? Well, is, let's look at it even from, from the Packers' perspective. We think Jair is going to play. We think Zedarius is right. going to play. The, the word on that is hopeful. Uh, Matt LaFleur addressing the media today, uh, usually their Wednesday media spot, but with the game being on Saturday, they kind of bump it up everything a day. Um, so the the guess is that they're hopeful. Uh, they were both limited participants today. Uh, Bakhtiari did sit but was just for load management for practice right. today to participate. That was expected kind of a – a given day off, not injury related. Right. Uh, so you look at who's going to play there, but you know, I think we need to get a better consultant on this and why not? Let's get to right to Mason. 
joining us now, you've heard him before, he's back, the assistant director of recruiting and player personnel at an unnamed Division Three college, Mason Sprangers, our Packer expert, film expert. Mason, how you doing, buddy? Doing great, guys. How you doing tonight? Fantastic. So lots to break down here with you tonight um, as we look ahead towards the playoff push with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, first of all, I guess just to kind of start here, how are you feeling about the game Sunday? How, or, well, let me let me go backwards here. What did you? How do you feel about this last Super Wild Card weekend? First, yeah, I think overall I was pretty surprised at the amount of lopsided games that there were. Um, you know, you look at the the matchups going in, and um, you know the way that Buffalo played against New England the second time they played during the regular season. Um, you know, you kind of had a feeling that. Buffalo, you know, last time New England was in Buffalo, New England ran all over them and lost that game. So you had a feeling that Buffalo was going to take care of business. Um, but really, other than that, um, you know, the the blowouts that we saw were were unbelievable. You know, last night with the the Rams and the Cardinals, obviously a division game, you expect that game to be a little bit closer. Um, you know, Tampa, we kind of knew was going to take care of business against Philly just based on the schedule that Philly had down the stretch. They didn't play a lot of really quality football teams. Um, but, yeah, I think overall just the, the amount of blowouts that we saw was uh, definitely a surprise for sure. So with that, we look at the game that sets up who the Packers played, Dallas and San Francisco. And Ram- Ramsey and I talked earlier in the show to – a long line of fun topics from that game and had some choice words for some choice fans and some choice uh, coaches and decision-making. <laughs> I guess what would be your takeaways from that game as we look ahead towards uh, the divisional round weekend? Sure. Yeah. I actually was just watching the the tape of that game just a little bit ago. And um, really, I think, the story of, of the game was how San Francisco controlled the line of scrimmage, uh, especially uh, offensively. Um, you know, I think anyone that watched the Cowboys throughout the course of the season looked at their defensive front as very formidable. Um, you know, drafting Micah Parsons, he really brought a huge and a whole different uh, element to that front seven, just with his speed and his physicality. And, they weren't really attacked physically at all the way they were uh, Sunday against San Francisco. Um, you know, San Francisco, you know, they are very physical up front. They do a lot of different things as far as their inside zone scheme, their outside zone scheme, um, the counters that they run, different things that they do up front. And Dallas, I just didn't think got hit in the mouth like that the entire season up front. So I think that was really the, the story um, of the football game. And on top of that, the penalties that Dallas had, I mean, you're not going to win many games, especially in the playoffs when you have 14 penalties and, you know, you turn the football over also, um, you know, if you, I know the Niners had a turnover late in the game also that kind of tilted the momentum back, uh, towards Dallas's favor a little bit. But, um, when you get controlled at the line of scrimmage, the way that Dallas did, and you have 14 penalties on top of it, um, you're going to have a hard time winning football games in the playoffs. So I know my opinions on Dak Prescott aren't very high. What do you think of Dak Prescott when you go back and watch the tape? Yeah, I think 
there were definitely opportunities, um, you know, down the field to complete some passes. Um, I know statistically when you go and you look at the box score, Amari Cooper, CD lamb had relatively quiet days. Um, but ultimately I think it comes from, uh, non-commitment to run the football and, you know, you look early in the game specifically, you know, Dallas was trying to force them to run the football. They had six, seven man boxes. They were playing a, a too high safety look a lot of the time. You know, they were trying to dare Dallas to run the football because when you're playing Dallas and you have a guy that can, he can sling the rock, Dak Prescott, he can throw it around. He's got good targets with Cooper and CD Lamb and Gallup when he's healthy and things like that. You know, you want Dallas to run the football, and they've shown throughout the entire season that they don't commit to running the football, no matter how good they're running it throughout the course of a specific game, whether it's with Zeke Elliott or Tony Pollard, they don't commit to it. And I think that's what you saw on Sunday was the fact that, you know, they had some good box counts to be able to run inside, and they they didn't do it. They um, And whether that falls on Dak Prescott, I'm not sure what his responsibilities are as far as you know changing plays at the line of scrimmage from a pass play to a run play based on the box counts and the looks that you have up front. Um, but you know overall, I think you know Prescott obviously he he battled. Um, you know he faced a good amount of pressure throughout the course of the game. He made some. Um, you know, some some throws that gave his guys chances to catch the football down the field that they just didn't come up with. Um, the one that really stuck out was, you know, later in the game, there's a third down and Dak's kind of rolling out to his right and he throws one down the field and they're just, they were just off a little bit. I think it was Wilson that was down at the end um, who laid out for and just didn't come up with it. But, you know, there was a number of those plays throughout the course of the game where, you know, Dak did what he you know could do to keep the play alive and they just didn't convert on the on the opportunities yeah so just before I mean, we'll we'll break down the packers uh 49ers game a little bit later in the episode so before that just one quick wrap up on that game mason are you calling a quarterback draw with 14 seconds left no timeouts <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting because you know i, I was really curious to hear what you know, whether it was Moore that came out and talked about it or McCarthy that came out and talked about it, just what their their thought was that if they thought that 14 seconds was actually enough time to run that play, slide down and get it spiked. And you heard after the game, you know, Coach McCarthy, he was thoroughly convinced that they had enough time to run down to the, you know, 25, 27-yard line, whatever they ended up at, and get the ball spiked. But, you know, at least at least for me, um, from people that have been in the league or been in, at high-level college ball, um, really 16 seconds is kind of what I've always heard as, okay, you need this much time to be able to run, slide, get the ball set up or, you know, spotted by the official and get the ball spiked. Um, so, obviously, they didn't have that. Um but based on the defense, I mean, you have four defenders on each side of the field that are guarding the sideline. You have two deep safeties. The middle of the field is wide open. It's a good call. Um, I don't I don't hate the call. Um, I think it's just more of the fact that Dak 
ran too long with the football. And people are going to talk about the official not being close enough or whatever it is, but you have to realize the job that the official has too. The fact that you need to stay back and not be right on top of the play so you can evaluate and look for fouls wherever you're looking and wherever your assignment is. Um, and, you know, I think there is a little disconnect there on what they were actually supposed to do once they got, you know, once they got down, um, you know, you see Larry Fitzgerald, I think is the, the best at it in those situations is that he takes the ball when he's down and he sprints to the official, to give him the football. And that just really didn't happen. And a lot of people were talking about, well, the official picked the ball up and he put it back down in the same spot when, you know, when I went back and looked at it, you know, I think the ball was at like the 24, 25 or whatever it was. The ref actually moved it back probably two, three, two feet to a full yard mm-hmm. from where it was initially set up. So he was spotting the ball in the proper position. Um, you know, overall, like I said, I don't hate the call. I think it's the right call based on the defense, but um, the execution just wasn't there from Prescott. I think he held on to the ball just a little too long. Interesting stuff. So just, I guess we'll use that as our transition point here to go from Dallas to Green Bay. And I guess just, you know, we're three regular seasons into Matt LaFleur. And you had been around the team, um, you know, on the sideline during training camp. And we, we've talked kind of at length about training camp experience. So I guess just take a, a chance here to kind of talk the difference between a Mike McCarthy training camp and then, then in turn, Matt LaFleur. Sure. As far as like the um, actual like setup of it, um, you know, I think contra- comparing and contrasting the two, um, you know, it was always a lot quieter um, when McCarthy was around. Uh, now with LaFleur, and music going throughout practice. And I think a lot of the players like that, I think they, they feel like it keeps the energy up throughout practice. Um, you know, the, the music that gets played is directly from the players playlist. So a lot of the guys, you know, they're out there vibing, they're enjoying what's being played. It helps keep the energy up throughout practice. Um, but I think the biggest difference between the two was the, the length of practices. And um, I know the guidelines I think are always changing every single year as far as how long these guys can be actually on the field throughout the course of the week. Um, you know, obviously that could change now with the new CBA that was signed, but, um, you know, I remember at when McCarthy was coaching, I mean, there were numerous practices during the course of the week that were, you know, two to two and a half hours long. And, with the floor, we, we just haven't really seen the practices go as long. Um, and I think a lot of that is due to the fact that they utilize night practices, um, whether it's just in the little 40-yard uh, indoor field they have in the facility at Lambeau or if they do go across the street to the Hudson Center. Um, I think they utilize their time a little bit better with the floor. I think there's not quite as much downtime uh, throughout the course of practices. Um, but overall, I think the practices, I think they're, they're run really similarly. Um, you know, they do a lot of the same individual work and things like that. I think some of the new positional coaches have come in and kind of instituted some different individual drills that they like to do. Um, you know, you don't, you don't see the one-on-ones with the receivers in the corners really anymore. That was, um, something that they did a lot with 
with McCarthy and his staff. Um, you saw that a couple times a week. I felt like um, they did the one-on-ones with the receivers in the corners. Um, you, know, you still see the one-on-one offensive line, defensive line, which is great. You still got the seven-on-seven. Seven. You got the inside run periods. You got the full team period, two-minute period. So a lot of the things structurally are are similar, but there are a few minor different things that LaFleur has done to change it up. All right, so then, third, like I said, third regular season in the books. We look at, you know, as before we actually preview the game, let's take a look at back at the 2021-2022 regular season. A uh, lot to unpack there, Mason, since the last time we talked to you and how this team has performed. So, overall, 13-4, and four, uh, once again atop the NFC. Uh, I guess just kind of we'll, we'll kind of narrow down as we go here, but some of the big overall takeaways, maybe comparing this team, to last year or even the year before under LaFleur? Sure. I think, um, you know, this year specifically on offense, I'll start on offense first. Um, I don't think you have the necessary quick strike, huge play, score in one chunk type that we had last year um, from the offense. You know, last year it was, you know, a lot of, um, quick strikes down the field, whether it was a, a deep throw to Valdez scaling down the middle or some sort of double move that got, you know, someone opened up down the field. Um, you've seen flashes of that throughout the course of this season, but there haven't been as many huge spat, splash plays that there was last year. And from watching the film, I think a lot of that is just due to the fact that you know, defenses are starting to play a lot more too high against the Packers offense. And what that is, is, you know, you're, you have two high safeties in the middle of the field. So, um, you know, with that two shell, you're not, you don't just have one deep defender. You have two deep defenders back there. You're trying to prohibit that deep throw. And that's what you've seen a lot against Kansas city this year as well. When they had their offensive struggle early in the year, you know, so many teams had played them as a one high where you get an extra guy down in the box to defend Kelsey or to double Hill or whatever it was. But now you're seeing a lot more too high instituted in the league just to try to make you dink and dunk and be patient on your way down the field. And I think the Packers have done that effectively throughout the course of the year. Um, Obviously I think it's gotten better later in the year. I think the Minnesota game in Minnesota kind of propelled the offense and took them to another level. Uh, especially in that second half from then on, you know, the offenses really performed very well. And I think a lot of that is just due to, you know, the different personnel packages they put together. Um, You've seen a lot more of Jones and Dylan on the field at the same time, which I would expect to see going into the playoffs here. And then, you know, defensively, you know, it's been a, it's been a really strange year um, watching the defense on tape just because obviously you start off with a clunker against the saints in week one where they didn't perform well at all. Um, and then, you know, kind of just a few average ish performances from that week two through week four five period. And then really from like week six to week 10, they really turned it on. We're playing very well. Um, they were physical up front. They played a lot of press man coverage where, you know, you were trusting their, you know, defensive backs to stay in phase and um, they were producing pressure with four guys or less, which was awesome to see. 
And then, you know, they hit some weeks there here later in the season where they had issues defending the run and um, they weren't playing as much man coverage where they had some communication issues with their pass offs and zone coverage. Um, you know, I, I like the way that they finished the seasons, particularly against the Vikings. I thought they, they performed very well, albeit against a, a backup quarterback. But, um, you know, overall, with the way that they played, with the amount of guys that they were missing on both sides of the football, uh, I think they got to feel pretty good overall about the way that the season went. So I guess, what, what's your opinion on the special teams at this point? I know last time we had you on, and you were not very high, and then it seemed like it really started spiraling down at that point. So, I mean, have you seen any improvement in the special teams over the last few weeks here? Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the main reasons is that they've started to play more of their core guys on special teams. Like you've seen Rasul Douglas play on special mm-hmm. teams over the last few weeks. And just having a guy like that who, you know, is going to stay within the structure, um, I think is obviously you know, really important. Um, you know, I think the, the biggest thing about special teams is, and I've been fortunate enough to see it up close about so many people talk about the coordinator and um mo is an awesome coach like i've seen him coach up close and personal he coaches hard the guys listen and respond to him and i ultimately feel like he does you know work to get the best out of his players and there were a number of instances and i know everything that, that could go wrong throughout the course of the season on special teams went wrong at some point um and i get that the responsibility goes back to the coordinator, but there's a lot of times, whether it's on uh, kickoff or um, punt team, whatever, whatever team that you're, you're looking at throughout the course of special teams where you you're in good position on your way down the field. And then when you get five, 10 yards from the ball carrier, you get a guy that gets out of position and there's, so many little intricacies that are difficult to understand in special teams. And I'm still personally working to try to understand all the different responsibilities and coverages and different lanes and things that, you know, coaches try to utilize. Um, but I feel like you have seen an uptick in the performance. And I think uh, a lot of that is, is just due to playing more core guys um, that are out there playing competitive offensive or defensive snaps and you know you've seen the the field goal extra point operation clean up a little bit they've changed that personnel up front as far as who they have blocking um you've seen that structure be a lot more solid so overall you know they've definitely improved over the last few weeks and i just hope that that they can continue that throughout the course of the playoffs yeah, and we look at the, as we go through the course of the playoffs. One other, you know, thing in my mind anyway, um, that is kind of a big contribution. You kind of mention it is those those core guys playing the special team snaps, and really, also in part due to the injuries, where you have to have those guys who became who maybe would have been special teams guys week three, week four, had to step into a starting role, so you had to even go further for the initial special teams. Uh, which leads me to the next thing here, Mason, as, as you know, all the talk around Green Bay and the, this team is just everyone coming back or, you know, potentially coming back. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously we talk about, you know, the main, you know, Bakhtiari and, and Zadarius and Jair, et cetera, down the line. So I'm going to ask you, 
from your perspective, what you had watched all year, who is going to potentially be the most anticipated that needs to come back for this team to make a deep run here? Oh man, it's 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 tough to answer just one because you know all if you look at the the structure of the team over the last you know three four years, each of the guys that were heard that you mentioned, they've all been really integral to the success of the football team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I had to 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 mention just one, um, you can mention a couple, Mason. I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I would say um, I'm most looking forward to. Uh, Jair Alexander being back, um, you know, at the point where he went out earlier in the season, uh, Rasul Douglas was not a Green Bay Packer yet. So I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what the secondary looks like as far as what they do from a schematic standpoint and then where they align Jair along with Stokes and Douglas all on the field at the same time. Um you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, do they move Stokes inside? Do they move Douglas inside? Do they put Alexander inside? Um, that's going to be really interesting to watch. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, but, you know, like I said, all, all three of those guys have been integral to the success of the, the team. Um, having a Stallworth like Bakhtiari back at left tackle, uh, it's going to be really big when you're facing guys like Bosa and, some of the guys you may see down the road off the edge. So uh, it's going to be, it's going to be fun, but Jair is probably the the one guy that I would point out the most. Yeah. So with that, I mean, just to take a look at this, this team and how they performed through their regular season. I know I kind of gave you a, a prep on this one. So I'm going to lob this softball up here for you because I've given you a couple of days to think about it. We look at this team, and and we had so many big people step up. So I guess first, you know, we're kind of we did our award show a couple episodes ago, but it's time for the Mason Sprangers Awards. Um, I don't really think I have to go through MVP, but I guess most improved first uh, that you would kind of look at here over the last what four or five months since the season started. Sure, yeah, I think the one who's uh, stood out on tape for me, who's made so many good plays has been Lucas Patrick. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Very physical. Um, he's done so much from <clears throat> a schematic standpoint. And <clears throat> and when you look at what he's done inside, both whether it was at guard or at center, um, he really performed extremely well. Yeah, so with, with Lucas Patrick, um, you know, he's done extremely well up front. Uh, I think he's handled a lot of very different skill levels as far as defensive linemen. Um, you know, went up against Aaron Donald, um, went up, you know, could, could potentially going to be going up against a guy um, like Via Vea maybe at some point. You know, he he's handled everything extremely well. And he's a guy who, and I highlighted this in a video that I did, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I think you guys shared, um, where he gets out in space on a screen block and he makes contact with the guy. He drives the guy 20 yards downfield and he plants him in the ground. You know, that effort that he's shown throughout the course of the season, he's done all the little things. And, um, you know, I think him throughout the course of the season, you know, he was not a week one starter, 
Um, but he's really improved throughout the course of the season. He's done everything that you could want from an offensive lineman. And I would expect him to start at right guard um, in the playoffs here. Um, you know, Myers is back. He's going to be at center. Bakhtiari at left tackle, but I would really expect Lucas Patrick to be at right guard um, for the playoffs here. Yeah, so then we go from the positives to the negatives. And the biggest disappointment for the year. Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to just – I hate singling out one person. Um, but throughout the course of the season, the most frustrating person to watch on tape was Royce Newman. Um, at right guard, um, you know, so many times throughout the course of the year, you know, he's, he's late with his feet, takes poor angles. He's late with his hands, um, you know, lacks the, the awareness to pick up twists and stunts up front, whether that's a awareness thing or lack of communication. Um, he was on the ground a, a ton throughout the course of the season. So I was, <clears throat> I was really glad to get Myers back and then see that they started Patrick at right guard because um, I feel like that's going to be their strongest five. They get Turner back at right tackle for the playoffs here. Having Turner and Patrick on the right side, Myers in the middle, Runyon and Bakhtiari, I think those are going to be your strongest five. Um, But, you know, he obviously a rookie, young guy, needs to learn and improve different things. But um, I think he, he really struggled, I think throughout the course of the year. Um, And I thought that they could have had a better option in there. Obviously they dealt with injuries where you maybe didn't have another body to put in there, but now you got a couple bodies um, with some of the guys are getting back. So he was kind of the one that stood out to me throughout the course of the season as, you know, we can do better at this position than, than than what he's providing us. Yeah, definitely. And let's address the elephant in the room. I mean, we obviously we know another MVP type season. We'll see if he actually ends up getting the actual award or not. Um, but MVP type season from Aaron Rodgers. But uh, obviously, the big question mark, you know, not knowing necessarily what his future is going to pertain is number 10, Jordan Love. And we saw about seven quarters of regular season football from Jordan Love. I uh, have not been able to talk about Jordan Love since you've been on last. So I know we talked about him in the, at the preseason, kind of some things that you had seen. And I guess I want to know, now that we've seen seven quarters of regular season football, what do you think of Jordan Love year two? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the thing that I look at with him is, he obviously he has the the physical talent, right? I mean, he has arm strength. Um, you know, he has the athleticism to be able to perform um, the functions of the job. I think a lot of it just comes down to the the mental side of it. Um, when I look at you know his tape from the Detroit game at the end of the year, the Kansas City game, whatever um, tape that it was. He really threw the ball with anticipation. You know, he was waiting for guys to clear an underneath zone defender. He was waiting for guys to come out of their breaks. His eyes were were going to the first read and staying there. You know, those are those are little things. They may seem like little things, but when it comes to running an offense effectively, 
that ball has got to come out on time. You know, if you see a window, if there is a window there to throw the football, you can't throw it once he's open because, you know, the, the defenders in this league are way too good. Um, you know, if, if you're waiting until he's open, there's going to be someone there by the time that ball gets there. So I think, you know, the anticipation, I think, needs to improve. Um, some things mechanically need to improve. Um, you know, his his front foot, he has a really big um, leg whip with his front foot that doesn't allow him to get that front toe pointed at his target consistently, and that leads to some of the inaccuracies um, that you see with him with the football. Um, but, you know, really, you know, he's, he's got the arm strength to be able to throw the the opposite hash throws, the 20 yard downfield throws where you need to drive the football in there. Um, so there are things physically that you like. Um, but then mentally, like I mentioned with, you know, throwing with anticipation, um, seeing the rush is a, is another big one for him where, you know, I'm questioning where his poise is at because he, he doesn't sense pressure. Well, you know, the, the one that he had, um, you know, I think it was on his second or third snap against Detroit where he doesn't sense the pressure off his front side until it's too late. The guy strip strips the football. He gets back on it. But, um, you know, the, the pocket presence, the movements within the pocket to be able to extend plays without escaping the pocket. You know, there's the subtle movements that you can have within the pocket to extend the play from within. Um, those are all things that. I think he needs to improve on. Uh, do I think he's ready to lead an offense uh, for 17 games as a starter? No, I don't think so. Um, there, there are just too many things from the the mental aspect of it um, that I think he needs to improve on. And the the last point I'll make on him is the the protection issues that they had when he was in the game. Um, you know, there's numerous times where there was the Kansas City game or the the Detroit game where, you know, the team brings the opponent brings four, maybe five guys where you have enough guys to protect it, but they're still giving up a free rusher. And I don't know if that falls solely on Jordan's shoulders, um, but those were things that you really didn't see very much of from the Packers' offense when Aaron Rodgers was in the game. You know, if they, there's rarely, you know, an opportunity for a free rusher when you have enough guys to protect it. When when Rodgers is in the game, where you saw it numerous times throughout the course of the game, where you know Detroit brings four guys, but they give up a free rusher. So I don't know if that's solely fallen on him or if there's a lack of communication between him and the center. Um, but really, overall, I think it's just the the mental. Um, the side of things for him that really needs to improve before he's ready. So how do you feel about uh, Packers having to possibly pony up some, some extra cash to Aaron Rodgers now? Is that something you think is a bigger priority now? Yeah, you, you got to do what you got to do. Um, you know, it's it's they're in a really difficult position just based on the contracts that they already have on hand with, you know, Bakhtiari and Aaron Jones and, um, you know, Zadarius Smith is still under his initial contract that he signed on. Um, and then you know, you're wanting to re-sign Devante, you're wanting to sign Jair. 
And then obviously you don't want to let this quarterback get away because he's, he's got you in the position that you're in right now. Um, but I mean, whether it's restructuring guys that are already on the contract or if it's, um, you know, maybe letting someone walk, that's not one of the guys that I mentioned. Um, you, know, you got to do what you got to do. I mean, this guy is going to win back-to-back MVPs. He's playing the position at the highest level that he's played it, I think, is, is maybe safe yeah. to say. Um, from a, at least a mental aspect, I think this is the best he's ever played. And he's playing the position overall, I think, better than anyone is playing it in the league right now, certainly, and maybe that we've ever seen the position played. Um, you know, it's it's rare to have a guy like Aaron Rodgers, and it's even rarer to have a guy that he can throw the ball to that's reliable all the time in Devontae Adams. So I don't know what it is I need to do from a salary cap standpoint. They have a lot of they have a lot of work to do to be able to get under the cap. Um, whether it's back weighting all these contracts to where, you know, their their number this year and in the next couple of years is low and as the contract, you know, starts to get near its end, then the pay goes up a little bit. Um, that's really one of their only options at this point to be able to afford the guys that they want to be able to afford. Yeah, definitely. So with that, I guess it's time to look at the upcoming game this weekend. Packers 49ers. Saturday night football in Lambeau. First off, Mason, will you be there? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Not going to miss it. How will, how will, how can our fans find you? Well, you know, any, anyone and everyone is always welcome at the Mason Springers tailgate. Um, me, me and my pops and a few family friends of ours always have a, a setup in the Lambeau lot. There's a, uh, a big red flag. It says Springs on it, and we are always accessible there. So, anyone and everyone is always welcome. Will you be signing autographs? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll I'll answer it this way: is that you know I've been going to games and tailgating now for you know uh, roughly eighteen years of my life, and. I've done a lot of things at at games and at tailgates and stuff, but signing something is something that I can't say that I've done before. So um, probably the only way is to show up and see what happens, I guess. I will tell you this. I, I have signed something before. It is a power trip. Um, I, well, I know that you'd be – I know you'd handle it very well, but I'm just giving you a heads up. If one of our listeners wants to, to join the Sprang's party and, and bring, I don't know, some – have him sign that beer can – It'll change a man. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll actually, I'll, I'll retrace a little bit. I actually did sign something once, um, and it wasn't at a tailgate. But and this is maybe just sidetracking completely. But um, when I had the the sideline pass during camp, um, I'd usually always find myself walking out of the practice field with either scouts or coaches and stuff, and um, you'd have all these little kids there holding stuff for you know the coaches or scouts to sign and there was a there was a time where this i felt so bad this this little kid just absolutely adorable um this kid he was probably five six years old he's got his his little sister i assume next to him and they're they both are holding this one football up whatever and i'm just like i had explained to them that i was not 
important enough to sign their <laughs> football for them. Like, like I had didn't understand because they just thought, hey, this guy's this guy's big and he's walking out with all these other big guys and he's wearing you know Packer gear and he he walked out of the fence from the practice field. So this guy's got to be important. And I'm just like, I'm I'm sorry, guys. Like you're. You know, I, I love, you know, what you're, what you're wearing and stuff. You're both, you know, adorable young Packer fans. You know, I, w- I was you once, but I'm, I'm not important. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, it was, it was the last day of training camp too, but you know, that was my one opportunity that I've had to sign something. But See, uh, I, 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 I feel like I respectfully passed up the opportunity. I'm, I'm glad you tell that story. Cause I'm going to tell one of my own here just before we get into the actual game. The one yes. time in my life I've ever signed something. So, Mason, as you know, and, and Ramsey and our listeners know, uh, I am employed by a radio station here in Green Bay. And that radio station hosts a number of different things out there, one of those being the party pit at Green Bay Gamblers games. One of the contractual obligations as part of going to the games and hosting the party pit, which you really don't do too, too much. It's, it's a great time. It's, it's more fun to say than what you actually do. But really, your only obligation, besides having a good time watching some hockey game with you know a couple of listeners and and you know some of your buddies and drinking free beer all night, is you have to do about a ten to thirty second quick, hey, listen to the fan for your chance to win gamblers tickets. You can join me down here in the party pit, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And that was my particular night to do one of our contractual obligations, and and I go to this game. Well. Did my parts at the end of the first period, and from then on, party on, right? You know, I'm sitting in the party pit. It's free popcorn, free soda, free beer. And at the time, I was still just the intern. Like, I wasn't even technically on on payroll. I am now, but I was just interning. And uh, I go, because down in the, the rush center, the party pit doesn't have its own bathroom. Like, you have to go back up to the main concourse. Or if you want food, whatever, um, sometimes mm-hmm. they have hot dogs but and popcorn, but um, beyond that, like if you wanted like real food or to use the bathroom, you got to go up to the main concourse. So I head up to the concourse, not stumbling or anything like that, but just, you know, definitely having some, some good old time with the Bud Light and the hospitalities of the party pit. And this little kid, it must have been like $2 hot dog night. He had seen me on the big screen. I had my, my lanyard that has my name and the radio station and stuff like that. He's like, dude, you're famous. I'm like, not really. Like, I'm just an intern. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, I want your autograph. I'm like, are, are you sure? He's like, giving me the pen. I'm not going to say no to the kid because I'm still trying to build a brand. So, no, I, I signed this kid's hot dog wrapper. And I'm sure he brought it back to his parents. Like, oh, I got the radio autograph. And they're gonna they're like, who the hell is that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, so I don't know if that ended up in the trash that night or if this, some kid in Green Bay, greater Green Bay area has a signed hot dog wrapper by myself, but, uh, that is the one time, but that changes you as a, as a human being. Yeah. That, that thing is framed on the wall for sure. Somewhere in, in, in in that kid's room, it is framed. It's matted very well. It's got a nice frame (laughs) around it. It's, it's hanging up for sure. Has a tag with this radio guy on it. Yeah. Right. Um, anyway, so. Mason, you'll be at the game um, signing autographs if someone presents it to you. Um, anyway, so to, to actually go over the X's and O's. So uh, Packers opening up as a five-and-a-half-point favorite uh, for this game this weekend. Obviously, a big demon 
big bugaboo has been the 49ers, especially in the playoffs, especially really at Lambeau Field. I guess first initial thoughts on the matchup. Yeah, it's obviously an interesting matchup, um, being that the the head coaches, you know, know each other very well and work together in the past. The, the systems are very similar. Um, but I actually went back and I watched the the tape from the week three game uh, in San Francisco, and I know it's it's a long time ago, and personnel changes and scheme, different things change throughout the course of the year, um, but. Really, I think the the Packers, you know, they they win the game if they do a few things. And you know, looking back at the, the first game, you know, the offensive line they had a lot of success with their duo run scheme, which is an inside zone run scheme where they have um, two double teams inside, and then one of the um, you know blockers from each double team climb to the second level. They had a lot of success with that. So I'm going to be interested in to see what San Francisco does to combat that. Um, you know, from a passing standpoint, I thought the, the Packers did a really good job. They utilized a lot of slot fades just based on the alignment of the San Francisco defense. They played uh, not as much too high as a lot of other teams play the Packers throughout the course of the year. They were a lot more one high um, with the other safety down playing robber and kind of shading towards Devontae a little bit. Um, so I'm going to be interesting. To, it'll be interesting to see if San Francisco comes back and you know plays too high, which is what the Packers saw a lot of throughout the course of the season after they played San Francisco. And then defensively, um, you know, I think the the Packers did a pretty good job um, up front against San Francisco in the first game. And then watching what San Francisco did this past uh, Sunday was they had Debo Samuel in the backfield a ton. And, you know, they had him in the backfield you know, on five plays on the first drive alone, whereas when the Packers played in week three, you know, they had Debo Samuel in the backfield two plays the entire game. So they started to utilize Debo Samuel a lot more in the backfield. So it'll be interesting to see what the Packers do defensively from a personnel standpoint. Um, you know, the conundrum that that creates – if your defensive coordinator is okay, is are they gonna line him up at running back? Are they gonna line him up out wide at receiver? Do I have a linebacker in there to help us better defend the run if they run with him inside, or do I bring another defensive back on the field where we're in a better position from a coverage standpoint, but we may be at risk to give up a run inside because you don't have an extra big body in there. So it'll be interesting to see how they play that. Um, but really I think the, the key for the Packers defense and you know, I've said this to, to numerous people is the techniques that they have their defensive line playing with. And what I mean by that is when the Packers have struggled against the run and that was the first Minnesota game in Minnesota and then the Browns game on Christmas, particularly they struggled defending the run in those two games and watching the tape. A big reason for that was they were slanting with their defensive front. So slanting, let's just say you have a three technique, which is you're a line on the outside shade of the guard. Well, when the snap comes, 
you know, you slant to the interior gap. So you're trying to cross the guard's face and go from the B gap to the A gap, essentially. And that can do some good things. You know, can confuse the offensive line and get them out of their blocking assignments and create some communication issues and things like that. But it can also give the offensive line really easy angles to push you out of the play. You know, if you think about it, if you're on the outside shade, of the guard and you work across the inside shade and the run is going outside. Well, now that offensive guard has an easy angle to, you know, block your shoulder and just push you right down the line and climb to the second level. And now you don't have your linebackers free to roam and plug and scrape over the top. And that was a lot of the issues that the Packers had. And I think the Packers have been immensely better defensively defending the run when they're off or when their defensive line come off the line square, they engage with the blocker, they hold the point, they fight pressure, they stay engaged, they shed, and they tackle. And I think that's going to be huge for the Packers defensively to do. I don't want to see as much slanting um, as they did, particularly against the Browns. I think that got them into a lot of difficult situations as far as defending the run. Um, but you know, I think that the Packers control the line of scrimmage both on defense and offense, uh, I think they win the football game. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's what was going to lead to my next question. So, um, not, I don't know if I'm going to make you stay to a score here, but five and a half points. Do you think it's kind of about that? Do you think this ends up being kind of a, maybe more of a nail biter like week three matchup was? Where do you see this, I guess, shaking out big picture? Sure. I mean, it's, it's so hard to say just because, you know, you don't know what the guys that were out for so long are really going to be like if if you're telling me that you know Bakhtiari is going to be what he's been for so long and that Zedarius is going to come in and contribute the way he had and then Jair is going to come in and play the way that he has throughout the course of his career I feel really good overall about the game um but there's a lot of unknowns as far as you know how Bakhtiari is going to play I mean it's going to be cold it's going to be uh probably difficult field conditions i know they're at home um but you know he hasn't played you know extended snaps he hasn't played a full game same thing with you know zadarius i know defensive linemen they they rotate and they substitute a lot more where you know he's not going to be relied on to be out there every single play like batieri would be or like jaira would be um randall cobbs another guy who's missed extended time so you know, you just you haven't seen the full product together at any point this year. So that's going to be really interesting to gauge, you know, what it's, how they're going to look all together. But overall, I think, you know, if the Packers play their game and, you know, they run the football the way they did you know, the first time they played them and how they've run the football down the stretch here. Um, and, you know, they remain disciplined in their run fits on defense. Like I mentioned, um, yeah, you know, I think the Packers have a lot of success on, on Saturday night. So just kind of going with that, and I know we may or may not have you on between now and whenever the end of the season may be, but do you just want to kind of ask, I guess, you know, Packers have played two of these three remaining other teams in the NFC um, and kind of looking as potentially going on a Super Bowl run here and and where the teams have evolved. I mean, they're – they beat the two teams that they have played. Uh, obviously, the other demon being 
Tampa Bay from last year's NFC Championship game. Where big picture do you think this team has evolved from when they've played each of these other teams and since even really since they've played Tampa Bay last year? How do you feel about the potential to end up in Los Angeles playing for the Lombardi Trophy? Yeah, I think overall the, the team is is deeper. Um, I think you know, you've seen multiple guys step into more prominent roles, like Rashawn Gary, I think is the mm-hmm. the perfect example. Um, I think he's he's elevated his game to another level just with how he's defended the run, how he's been able to win a lot more in one-on-one pass rush situations. Um, you know, a guy like that or a guy like, I think, Alan Lazard and Valdez Scaling have both, you know, become a little bit more comfortable in their roles and what they've been asked to do. And really, I think, you know, having your your key guys out there, I think, you know, last year, and you know, I've, I've said this to numerous people, that I think if, you know, David Bakhtiari is playing down the stretch, I think the Packers don't lose to Tampa Bay. Um, you know, I think so many of the issues that they had in that game was the inability to block on the edge. And um, I think if David Bakhtiari is out in that game, is out there playing in that game, um, that they have a lot less issues and they're able to get rid of the football on time more frequently and not have pressure and things like that. So, you know, I think just having the full puzzle together, um, I think is, is really important. And then, like I said, you know, the Packers kind of gone through stretches on both sides of the football where they are doing some things very well. And then there's some stretches where they don't do as well in certain things. And I think, they hit that stretch during the middle of the season where they were defending extremely well like against the run and the pass. And I think if they can get back to that, you know, they start, they can get back to playing more man coverage. And obviously Jair being out there would definitely help a lot with more trust of your guy to be able to go out and mirror a guy and stay in phase throughout the course of the route. You know, you go out and play more press man coverage. You trust your athletes out outside and then you, you know, stay more structurally sound inside defending the run. You know, those things together combined with the offense, utilizing their two-back set. You know, um, A.J. Dillon wasn't a huge factor down the stretch last year where he's really become a more prominent piece of the offense this year. You, know, you utilize the, the pieces that you have, and you get a guy like Randall Cobb back, you know, your true slot receiver. Um, I think this team is is a lot deeper and more potent to be able to make a, a deep run here in the playoffs than the years past. All right, Mason, I'm going to put you to it. Super Bowl in Los Angeles. Who is the matchup and who wins? Oh, man, you're really putting me on the spot here. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I, I think in, I don't know, I'm, I'm born, born and born and raised in, in the green Bay area. So you know, people may call me bias or whatever, but, um, you know, I, I truly do think that the Packers are the best remaining team on the NFC side. And I think that they can beat the other three teams that are remaining. Um, if you look at what the team is able to do, the different ways they're able to win, you know, if they need to rely on Aaron Rodgers to throw for 350 yards and three, four touchdowns, you know, he's, they've shown they've been able to do that. If they need to run the ball 30, 35 times and run for 180, 200 yards, 
you know, they've shown they've been able to do that. Um, you know, they've had games where they haven't played very well offensively and the defense has held them in games. A la Kansas City game, the defense held them in that game. Um, they've shown a lot of different ways to win. And you look at the health of the Packers now, which haven't been able to say that all year, but you look at the health of the Packers now compared to the other teams. And um, I think LA overall is pretty healthy. They have some guys banged up in their secondary, um, but you know, the Niners are a little bit beat up. Tampa's really beat up. So I think from a health perspective and just the overall different ways that the Packers have shown they've been able to win, I think they're the best team in the NFC and I see them uh, getting to the ultimate goal of of the Super Bowl, and then on the AFC side, um, I truly think Buffalo is 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 the best team on the AFC side. Um, their their offense is just so, I mean, it's it's so overwhelming what they do offensively because they run so many different types of run scheme, whether it's outside zone or they run split zone, they run some gap scheme, and they have um, you know Singletary and Moss two two very different style backs kind of similar to Jones and Dylan with the backers where, you know, one's kind of a slasher and one's more of a down the hill in your face, run you over type of guy. And then their weapons on the outside and what Allen's done, um, whether it's their, their levels concept or their drive concept, whatever they're doing from a passing scheme standpoint, you know, they've affected a lot of defenses with the skill that they have on the outside and they've been able to effectively run the scheme that they're trying to do uh, very well. And then defensively um, they're very overwhelming. I mean, they can get after you with you know, four rushers. Um, they play some single high, they play some two high. Um, the, the athletes that they have on the back end, I mean, you saw the play that Micah Hyde made the, the other mm-hmm. night. I mean, the, the receivers is open down the sideline and it's a really well-thrown ball, but just the range of him being able to go from the middle of the field all the way to the boundary and intercept that football. Um, you know, they got something special going defensively too. So um, if, if what I believe to be true ends up coming to fruition, you would have the ultimate uh, tailgate of bills and Packers, which I think are the two teams that do it the best. And a prediction for the game that for that game, or do we have to get back to you on that? Um, see, I, I'm never a a look ahead type person. I'm much more of a let's let's get through this this game first. So, you know, it's it's amazing that you even pulled a, a Super Bowl talk out of me. It's very well well done from an interview. I'm, I'm proud of me too, really. quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'll uh, I'll t- I'll take a rain check. I'll I'll take you up on that. Uh, I'll get back to you on that one. All right, sounds good, Mason. So you'll be at the game. Um, you know, we we'll continue to share your video breakdowns. I don't expect one until later next week because I'm I'm hoping you're gonna lose your voice at this game. Hopefully. Well, considering uh, considering it's been a struggle just to uh, to talk ball with you guys as far as not losing my voice, um, I'm guessing that the odds of losing the boys Saturday night are going to be pretty good. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see. We'll just have to wait and see how it goes. All right, Mason, where can the fans find you aside from our Facebook page? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty much just where I've been posting some videos as of late. Um, you know, I love watching tape and breaking down tape and maybe pointing out some things that, 
people may not see um, and that maybe they don't point out on the on the broadcast and things like that. So uh, I pretty much just share stuff on, on my Facebook page and um, really appreciate you guys showing uh, and sh- sharing it and putting it out to your fans also. Um, I know it's definitely increased the viewership uh, being shared by some, some different folks, so I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. That's Mason Sprangers, our guru of football talk, our football scout. Mason, thanks for coming on, buddy. We'll have to do it again here before the Super Bowl, hopefully. Yeah, thanks, Mason. Really, yeah, I pre- really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's always good talking about with you guys. All right, awesome. That's Mason Sprangers. Once again, Mason Sprangers, just absolutely incredible. And as mentioned, like I said, Rams are going to wrap this up here pretty quick. Just kind of taking a look at the game this weekend, and I know Mason did, and we talked about it pretty uh, – basically every angle we could think of with him to this point. We did our picks earlier in the episode. I took Packers are covering the six. I think Ramsey, you're kind of against that. It's a 47 and a half over under. Could be the under. I'm curious. I, I really don't know how to, like I said, looking at this as an analyst and, and kind of removing myself from the picture. I don't see a situation in which get this game is, I guess that close. I, I think Green Bay wins very decisively maybe a kind of a backdoor cover if it's going to happen but at the same time there's that packer fan ptsd where it's san francisco in the playoffs it's flashbacks of colin kaepernick and and flashbacks of 2019 2020 nfc championship game out in san francisco and i think this team is so significantly different even than the team we saw them be you know win out in san francisco in week three They've they've evolved so much to this point that they're so much significantly better than that point. But at the same time, like I said, there's just that little creeping little figure where it's like, I don't know. It's San Francisco. I'm I can't talk myself into this game to feel super confident. Like I said earlier, I think the Packers are gonna win. I think they're gonna I just I don't know. Six Six. That means that game's probably going to close at five and a half. It opened at five and a half. It's at six live as we speak. It's probably gonna, I bet you it'll close at five and a half. I bet you some of the money comes on San Francisco at the end. I, 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 it's hard. I'm with it. I want to be like, yes, the Packers are going to win easily. And if I think that I think Green Bay is the best team left in the NFC. And I think that it's Green Bay and everybody else. I don't think it's really. I don't think it's that close. I don't but... either. You look at the matchup, this is maybe, and I don't want to say the best matchup, worst matchup talk, because I think that it's kind of nonsense, to be honest with you. But also, I mean, just from this perspective of this, you know what you have in Tampa Bay. You have a pretty good idea of what you have against the Rams if you get there. This team with the Niners is so questionable along the way, where you've seen such flashes of greatness from them at times. Let me put it this way. I don't like teams that consistently put up eight-minute drives. The 49ers all season have consistently been able to put up eight, nine, ten-minute drives. That makes me nervous, especially we talked about with Mason on how Green Bay has kind of lost that little bit of a quick strike offense. And if you get dominated in time of possession, I don't want to see Aaron watching this game from the sidelines. And that's what makes me nervous about it. And that, I mean... 
I think San Francisco's offensive line is a really good offensive line. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is severely underrated. And I just, I, it's hard. I just don't like teams that can go on long drives and take the ball. Traditionally the speaking, aren't heavily turnover. The 49ers don't heavily turn the ball over traditionally. I mean, Garoppolo gets one or two a game usually, but it's not. Well, let, let, me, let me put this in perspective. And, and maybe I'm trying to talk myself into feeling a lot more confident than I actually do. Like analytically speaking, this game should be a lock for Green Bay. I don't want to jinx anything. Don't want to say anything that they that it's going to be. You're Anal- gonna get a lot for that. You're I the know, jinx. I know. But what I would say is just looking at this, Green Bay has had a very situationally good pass rush, right? Yes. Green Bay, I trust their their secondary, especially if Jair Alexander is healthy and playing, which the expectation coming into today with Matt LaFleur met with the media is that Jair Alexander is going to attempt to give it a go and should be playing. Jair hasn't played since the matchup against the Steelers. He's on fresh legs. You have guys who've proven themselves along the way with Stokes and Douglas and even Shannon Sullivan to different degrees. You've got the guys there to fall in place behind your lead dog. Yep. You potentially have Zadarius Smith coming back. You potentially have Whitney Merciless coming back. You have four guys who can get after Garoppolo, force him to make a mistake, which you know you can do. Jimmy Garoppolo won his first game last week, this season, where he threw an interception. He was able to overcome. Granted, again, not as good of a head coach as Matt LaFleur, our offensive coordinator, and Mike McCarthy. I think we can say that pretty handedly, how that all shook out. But... I, I think if Green Bay can force a turnover, maybe two, which we know Jimmy G can do, it, I think it's a pretty considerable win for Green Bay. Mason said it earlier, is that they need to control the line of scrimmage. And I think you said it right there, you need to have a turnover or two. I think that you... Turnover two to, to be, to be I, dominant. So I wouldn't even say a turnover two, and this is going to sound a little weird, but I think the defense has to be good enough situationally to force long third downs and not give up extended drives. I think that's the key. And I think if you can avoid extended drives and keep San Francisco, I think um, Tony Romo was talking about it in the broadcast, is how San Francisco likes to be ahead of schedule on the downs. Like They like to get six yards on first down, and then they have four yards for two more downs. Okay. And they like to stay ahead of schedule, right? I think Green Bay needs to keep them behind schedule a little bit. They need to be in longer third downs, and obviously, like you said, hopefully a turnover, and hopefully control a line of scrimmage, and that should be fine. And I know that sounds dumb because there's a lot of other aspects of going football, but the other ones I'm not worried about. That would be... Kind of like what you were getting at. That's what I would say would be ideal. Yeah, definitely. And this team, just to, you know, let's put a, a happy little bow on it as we wrap up here. This team is a lot different. Like I said, they're different than the team that played in against the San Francisco 49ers in Week 3. Yeah. They're different than the team that played in ta- against Tampa Bay in the NFC Championship last year. They're different. They're far different than the team that played against San Francisco in that NFC Division Championship or, or NFC Conference Championship game two seasons ago. And I'm sure, I think there's only a handful of guys that were even on 
the 20 uh was it 2013 loss against San Francisco and Colin Kaepernick when he ran all over Lambeau Field there's maybe three four guys Aaron Mason Doc Gary I mean yeah the three guys maybe <laughs> maybe so with that like I said I I really think this is a different team I think they're in a good position to to win this and and go along to the next level. And we'll talk about more then. So I guess with that, Ramsey, I know we made our picks. What are you rooting for this week? You know, Pack's probably the obvious one, right? Yeah. Um, if not the Packers, go Tampa Bay. I do love Tom Brady. I'd love to see, you know, that always makes it, even last year made a little easier to tolerate when you lose to Tom Brady. Like, I, I guess, go Tom. I know it's, uh, they're starting to get the Rolex 24 stuff set up. I believe that is next weekend. Sounds about right. I'll look that up. I'm going to go, I'm going to go Green Bay basketball. And, I know I it will be next week in the 29th and 30th. Um, I know I, I I make a pretty good point to mention uh, Green Bay Phoenix basketball, at least in some capacity every week. Um, kind of a neat thing. So this year, you know, as opposed to last year, back to the traditional conference matchups where you play two games on the road or two games at home. Uh, the Green Bay men had played with seven guys over the weekend. Ramsey, seven guys. Um and then a backup, basically an eighth guy who's been redshirted all year, that they had kind of just right. sitting in in the wing in case somebody got hurt and they had to have mm-hmm. a, more than a sixth body. Uh, their game Saturday night, which they did end up losing, uh, they actually got their second conference win last weekend, but on that was Thursday night. Their Saturday game, they ended up losing. Uh, just kind of, I think they only played six through the majority of that game, uh, just with health and safety protocols, injuries, etc. Uh, so they are back in action on Thursday night, going to host Detroit Mercy uh, at the Rush Center here in Green Bay. That game, cannot find a betting odds on it, but if you want to see some Division One basketball and at the mid-major level, still some you know some still some names out there. Antoine Davis for Detroit Mercy is a superstar. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely a game maybe worth checking out Thursday night. Uh, Friday night, the Green Bay Phoenix women are hosting UW-Milwaukee. And as I was mentioned, kind of a cool thing scheduling-wise here. So as mentioned, with the return to normal, kind of your travel partners usually play two teams in a weekend, and you have a travel partner. So one team will play. So for example, if a team was, if two teams are coming to play uh, Green Bay-Milwaukee over a weekend. So let's just, uh, I believe the usual travel partners are Detroit and IUPUI. Sure. I believe that's their their travel partner. So Detroit will play Green Bay on Thursday for the men. And then IUPI uh, would play on Saturday. Okay. And actually, it's Detroit and Oakland. I should have known that because that's the two Detroit's uh, greater, greater Detroit area schools. So Detroit will play Green Bay Thursday. And then Oakland will play uh, Green Bay. Or, so the Oakland will play Milwaukee Thursday. And then they basically flip-flop. Sure. So the women's conference schedule is doing something a little bit different this year where the men had a, usually it's a Thursday, Saturday, or Friday, Sunday conference slate. 
this year the men did something cool where they play Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, or Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. Play three games in a, in a very short span to get that in-state game or that their usual travel partner game. The women's conference is, or the women's conference schedule is doing a home-and-home home, same weekend trip. So Green Bay women will play host to Milwaukee Friday night, and they'll travel to Milwaukee on Sunday. That's kind of cool. So I, I'm a big fan of that. I want to see how that pays off, but um, go Phoenix. That's my what go I'd root for. So with that, episode 58 is in the books. Badgers are just about to tip off here. We have that um, as we edit this thing up and put together. For Ramsey, for Mason, I'm Eric Biggie. We're signing off. We're in the books. See ya. Bye.